my privilege to be with you this morning, truly. I mean, and I, I believe already that we need to bring that song back at the end of the service, maybe today. I'm a pretty good discerner of men. You have two amazing men right here, I can tell already. Yeah? It's such an honor for me to stand here this morning with you. My name is Brian, and I'm a recovering Baptist. Thank you. All right, I also have 26 years of recovery from a sexual addiction. And God chose today, Father's Day, in a Baptist church in South Africa to be the first time I've ever given a sermon on a Sunday morning. This sexual addiction was destroying my life, and today God is at work in me, and I trust that this, this morning, is for the benefit of one man or one marriage. Forgive my weak voice. I've spoken to 18 groups in the last 18 days, including all day yesterday, and I've, my, my voice is a little weakened, but... Yes, he mentioned I was Skip Collins' brother-in-law from the States, and... I had the privilege of marrying his little sister about 13 and some years ago, and he came to the States and married us. Thus, my connection to Durban. I came to speak at the Grace Counseling Conference about three weeks ago and do some sexual addiction recovery training with local counselors and churches. What an amazing three weeks with many opportunities to share the hope of God's love to change one life. Today I've been asked to share a little of my story with you, and I've entitled this talk, God's Love Wins. Three stories of faith, hope, and love. Before I start, I did want to acknowledge and say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Yeah. As mentioned, I was scheduled to come last Father's Day. And on May 28, 2017, it was a very, very dark day for myself and my family as my oldest son was expected to die from a cocaine and opiates drug overdose. We were told he would most likely die on day one and on day two and on day three as he lay in a coma. We were told if he lives, he has a minimal brain function the brain is the only organ in the body that does not really repair itself, and at best, he would be a vegetable, a father's nightmare. I will pick up this story as we conclude our time together this morning, but first I just want to take a minute and look at the word faith. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So do you believe what you say you believe? Do you believe in miracles? Do you have the faith that God cares about you and your problems? Have you ever doubted? Do you really have the faith that people can change? Do you believe that God can change you? 
Do you believe that God can change your spouse? Your addicted spouse or your wandering child? Do you have the faith to believe? Hebrews says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Today I believe that. Many days and years I did not. I believe we all have a story. When you see someone and you meet someone and you look at their behavior, ask yourself, what is their story? Well, here's mine. Yes. What a cute kid, huh? Smiling and made in God's image. Innocent. My story seems quite typical to me. A loving mom and a distant dad and two amazing sisters. My father was bigger than life. An architect, builder, auto mechanic, welder, electrician, plumber, a hunter, a buck hunter, a man's man, a man of integrity. I'm told here in South Africa that this man would have eaten Bill Tong and been a shark supporter. Is that right? Well, my father was also a Baptist trustee and usher. All my life, I never saw him read the Bible, pray, or sing. My mother taught backyard Bible school, and I asked Jesus into my life at about age five, and I renewed that every year after. A good little Baptist boy with low self-esteem. No huge dramatic abuse story. Just the skinny kid that got teased and picked on. Beat up in school, rejected by coaches who had no real relationship with his father. Now everyone moves on from their childhood wounds, right? Well, often with unresolved wounds, all your feelings hidden as men all your insecurities and your issues and rejections buried. I later discovered that my father had no real faith in a loving biblical God. As an adult, I realized my God concept was largely shaped by my father's experience with my father. God was also distant, full of integrity, Feared, unapproachable, the disciplinarian, the judge, and the jury always disappointed in me. Someone I could never please or measure up to. That became my God as well. Shortly after high school, I married at age 19. Here's my photo. Yes, you can chuckle. Huh? Way too young and immature. Shortly after this, I became employed in an art studio and stumbled onto pornography in a co-worker's office. This immediately took a stronghold in my life and became a huge secret in my young marriage. My behaviors escalated quickly to frightening and unbelievable levels. This soon resulted in my involvement in prostitution and two shameful arrests for what was called indecent exposure. 
as I had been seen using pornography in my car. I was living completely contrary to my own values, and I could not stop, and I could not tell anyone. But all things eventually come to the light. I eventually told my wife I left my job. I truly sought victory over this sin. While I memorized hundreds of Bible verses for the following 12 years and taught adult Sunday school teacher Sunday school to seminary students, I could not find victory as I fought alone. Hopeless, in 1991, I sought out a psychologist and was introduced to the idea, the concept of this pervasive sin as a sexual addiction. It resonated with me and it began to change my life. That fall, 1991, I checked myself in to a 30-day treatment program for sexual addiction. A very, very sick 36-year-old man. A failing 17-year marriage and three precious little boys. I had left my Baptist church, resigned from my job as an art director of a worldwide Christian organization full of pride, anger, and shame. I was desperate, angry at God, and confused by a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not permit you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Really? I didn't believe it. That wasn't my experience. And then there was Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Really? I didn't see it. As I was going through a divorce and my boys were being split into two different homes, all things are going to work together for good. I did not have the faith, the hope, or the love to believe it. And by Christmas of 1993, my wife had divorced me. I believe she had every biblical right to. In this photo, you can see the pain and the hopelessness in all three of my precious son's eyes, one of the most painful images I have. Many painful years as God slowly healed my heart and theirs. As God in time showed me his love, restored my faith, and gave me hope to continue. In God's time, I believe that God's love wins. Now hope. They say without hope that people perish. Many an addict has been without hope. Many a parent has been without hope for their hurting child. Many a marriage has been without hope. So are we a people of hope or not? What do you hope for? What have you given up hope for? I guess I always hoped for a relationship with my father. I hoped he would become a Christian. 
But I certainly did not have the faith that that would happen. His heart was extremely hardened. My heart was hardened. And I'll come back to that story also. First, a verse on hope. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. This is an interesting verse. Many of us are hoping for everything to be made right, right now. Many times they're not. Is it our lack of obedience? Is it our lack of faith? I thought it was up to me to get it right. I hoped I would get victory over my sin, my addiction. But thankfully, our hope is not in ourselves getting it right. Our hope must be in an active, loving God. Paul earlier in Galatians 3 tells us, Oh, foolish Galatians, I would like to know just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith, by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast? Are you now trying to make yourself more perfect by your own human efforts? Paul tells us that that's foolishness. Today, I believe that God is the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. God is working even when we have lost hope. We certainly have our part to play. Our free will, our responsibility, our choices. We must humble ourselves and seek and ask and knock. But our hope must be in a God that changes. Then God's changing power and His finished one-time work on the cross. Romans 9 says, It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. I say God is good all the time, but He's awfully slow. Doesn't it seem that way sometimes? Our hope is in Christ. Our identity is in Him. He is our righteousness. Therefore, Romans 8 says, There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. But how do we work that out? Our hope is in Jesus, not ourselves. Do you know what the good news of the gospel is? God's love wins. Actually, God's love has already won. Love. Then there's love. Trust me, I was without feelings of love. I was numb and in a very dark place. The only understanding I had of love was my love for my three little boys. The fathers here know what I mean. There is nothing quite like the love we have for our children. Because of my love for my boys, I persevered and I stand here today. As I mentioned back in 1991, hopeless and deep in this addiction, I entered into a strange recovery program. Hope began. And in God's time, in God's way, change began. After my divorce in 1993, several years of struggle but always making progress, I grew in the understanding and the healing of my wounds. 
my childhood wounds, years of 12-step meetings, professional counseling, transformational workshops, and reconciling my questions with my faith, I slowly learned to walk and progressively die to my addiction. For the next 12 years, I was single, and at one point raising three teenage boys, serving in ministries and growing in thoughts of love and the possibility of remarriage began to grow. Now, to shorten the story and to get a little more current, 13 years ago, in 2005, I had the courage, the faith, to remarry. So I dated and I married what was Skip Collins' little sister, Kim, thus my connection to Durban. Yes, here's Kim, a very lucky guy, very lucky, undeserving man. Now, Kim knew my story from our dating days and before marriage. I had then shared my story with her brother, Skip, as her father had already passed away. Skip received me, and soon I found myself in South Africa. Skip came home and married us. Skip and Kim knew that I had a vision of ministry to men. My wife was fully supportive, and in many ways, I would not be here if it were not for her. Now, Kim is the creative art director at Central Wesleyan Church, a big church in Holland, Michigan, and she serves on their executive team. She has been a significant blessing to me and challenging at times. And yet, I would not be here. I would not have grown as much as I have grown without her love and her strengths. Now, back another minute to my story in 1991 at my lowest. I was feeling suicidal in the deer hunting woods with a rifle in my hands. And I walked out of the woods full of fear and shame, most concerned about what my father would think as he was a man of integrity, an unbeliever and very cynical of Christian leaders, church hypocrites who had fallen into sexual sin. I trembled out of the hunting woods, resigned from my job as a senior art director of an advertising agency, and got on a plane to an unimaginable, crazy 30-day treatment center for sexual addiction. Before I left, I talked to my sister, and here is what she wrote me on love in the front page of a blank journal. She wrote, Brian, I love you even though you say you don't understand love at this point in your life. It's still true. There are some things that just don't change based on your belief or disbelief. My love is one. God's love is another. Even my love, as unchanging as I shout that it is, cannot compare to God's smallest whisper. Spill your guts out on these pages, and someday I pray that you will look back and see how He has carried you, your sister, forever, Cindy.
You don't know what that meant. This sister currently has stage four cancer. She was telling me in my darkest days to hope and believe that God's love wins. Now, you may recall I mentioned a couple of verses that I struggled with to reconcile. Well, Romans 8 was one. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. Well, today's story, my story, is God working good in my life. It's truly a miracle. And I am a living testimony of God's love and grace working even terrible things in God's time together for good. Now I'd like to share my second story with you, a story of faith, hope, and love, a story of my father, my sister, and Romans 8:28. As an adult, I had several conversations with my father about God, the Bible, and Jesus, and he did not believe and had a very determined, hardened heart. One day, he learned that he had cancer and six months to live. He and I scheduled a week together, a fishing trip, and just hanging out. But he had no interest in speaking of spiritual things. As things progressed in his disease, he made me executor of his estate and gave me a key to a box. While he was in the hospital, I determined that I should check that box out. And in the box, I found a letter to my mother, stating what a beautiful woman and wife my mother had been. And then he wrote, One of my regrets is that I could not be the Bible-believing Sunday school teacher that you wanted me to be. This box included, this letter included a statement of anti-faith where he stated, I'm sorry that you and the kids have to go through your future thinking I'm in hell. He also wrote, if God can send a man to hell for being confused by all the gobbledygook shared from the pulpits I've sat under, then so be it. I would not want to spend eternity with someone so unjust. And then a list of who got what gun and tool and so on. What does a son do with a letter like that? Well, no one believed or had the faith to think that he would change his mind, especially on his deathbed. He was too stubborn and full of integrity for that. He had once told me, what if I just don't have this faith that you have? A difficult theological question. Well, as the disease progressed in God's mercy, a man with no faith ended up in a facility called Faith Hospice. Then I woke up in the middle of the night one night wondering if there was any conversation I wanted to have with my father before he died, before it was too late. I had already had the faith conversation so many times. But what God, I believe, brought to my mind was my sister's sexual abuse. And my struggle with Romans 8.28 was given a new perspective. 
I came in that morning and I straight out asked my father how he could remain friends with a man that had sexually molested and abused his daughter, my sister. You see, his closest friend and deer hunting partner, the man whose family we went on family vacations with, I learned many, many years ago that he had sexually molested my sister for several years when she was young. My father had no idea what I was talking about. I had understood from my sister that she had talked with him at my encouragement some 15 years ago. Apparently, she had been blocked from my mother. Do not talk with your father about that. Now, when I bring this up to him, he was so impacted and distraught, he did not know what to do with these unfamiliar emotions of anger, rage, and love. He did not know what to do with this information. He said, had he known this, our family history would have been different. I knew what he meant. The fathers in this room know what he meant. Distraught, and with my guidance, we had a conversation with my mom. We then invited my sisters, and he asked if this was true. Yes, Daddy, said my sister. He then took my sister into his arms and chest as they both cried, and he asked her what he could do for her. I still remember her saying, just knowing that this really makes you angry is enough for me. He had difficulty sleeping the next few nights and did not know what to do with his anger and what to do for his daughter. He'd ask me, Brian, what can I do for Cindy? I said, love her. Just love her. One night as my mother had left the hospice to sleep in her own home and get away from it all, I spent the night with him that night in hospice. And the next morning as my sisters both were visiting and one was about to leave, he asked if we had a few minutes to talk. We gathered in a small circle, and he looked me in the eye, and he asked me, Brian, what do I need to do to be with you kids in heaven? He confessed his stubborn ways, and I asked him if he believed that Jesus was the God of creation. He said he must have been. He then prayed an amazing prayer, and I believe became a new creation in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? We had about two weeks with him. I saw such a transformation, I could not deny that this was real. I saw him worship for the first time. He didn't like worship music. He asked forgiveness. And the chaplain led us, and I watched this man sing, Jesus Loves Me. He confessed his faith to many. He asked forgiveness. He made amends. 
Could it be that God was working all things together for good? I believe God took the love of His children, the tragedy of my sister's abuse, and used it to break my father's hardened heart and bring about his faith and change his eternity. Now, not always in this way, but I believe now in the end that God's love wins. Now, can we agree? All things are not good. That God has allowed the enemy freedom He's allowed each of us free will. And we currently live in a sin-filled, broken world. But we need to be reminded that God has a good plan and a better hope. And we might not always see it or understand it. But I believe He is still active, changing hearts and minds. Amen? I know I'm at a Baptist church, but come on. God is active, finding creative ways to work all things, even terrible things, together for good. Sometimes in this life, sometimes in the next. So, let me conclude with my third story. My son. My son and a God that I cannot fully understand. The story that I did not have an answer for one year ago. On day four, as my son's drug overdose laid him in a coma, I was that day, that morning, in his home, going through his personal things, grieving, weeping deeply, imagining that my son was about to die as I put things in a box. When I got a text from my other son, Dad, he's woken up, and the doctors are calling it a miracle. Now, I credit this only to God's grace. The prayers of many, including some of you that joined us in prayer one year ago, and mostly, perhaps, the faith of my grandson, my nine-year-old grandson, As his daddy lay there, he comforted me and said, Oh, Grandpa, it's going to be okay. I said, You just don't know the medical facts. The only one that I know that had faith. Now, I was totally prepared and expecting in your opening song earlier reminded me of the song that talked about earth's pains and heaven's hope. And I thought, certainly, God's love, the God's love that wins, would simply be God taking my son home and rescuing him from his life of pain, his pending divorce, his debt, his bipolar, his addiction, by taking him into the presence of Jesus But God had other plans. And today, my son is one of the most profound medical miracles that I have ever seen or witnessed or could have ever imagined. After three months of being hospitalized, 
He is now living independently, driving a car, looking for work, and living a fairly normal life. He has sadness, yet is giving gratitude to God and his family. And I believe that God has some amazing plans ahead for this gifted man. At our Christmas program this last year, he stood to an invitation to those that had a story that needed to be told and wanted to embrace a new name, Messenger. And he stood. I am thrilled to be able to share with you that in a very real and unique way in our family, we can say that God's love wins. And by faith in a loving God, I still believe that I would have said God's love wins even if God had allowed him to go into God's presence. Now, just before coming on this trip, I asked for an early Father's Day gift. My daughter-in-law took this amazing photo at my request of my boys and I to share with you and celebrate my son's miraculous recovery. Jaden, my oldest, is in the middle on my right, the miracle man with his amazing brothers. I believe God has a call on his life to be a messenger with his story. Now, life and real stories do not always have a happy ending true. But I pray this morning that each of us might have our faith increased in a loving God. May we have our hope for changed lives expanded. May we receive the gift of understanding God's unconditional, His ever-present love. May our eyes and hearts be open to see God's love with a new and powerful life-changing perspective. God has a plan. Sometimes we don't see it or understand it. But in this life or the next, in the end, God's love wins. Amen? And now, in conclusion, I want to make an invitation. If you're hurting, if you're doubting, If you are without hope, if you are in the shame of an addiction, perhaps even this addiction, and trust me, some of you are. It does not have to get to my level of shame to be an addiction. If you have a battle with porn and cannot stop, you are in the stages of an addiction. Addiction is simply living contrary to your own values and not being able to stop, knowing it's wrong, knowing that it's affecting your mind and your relationships negatively. May I plead with you to come into the light, to get honest with one trustworthy person, to do your part to ask, seek, and knock until you find the help you need. God gives faith and hope to the humble and the hurting. God is love. He will and has done his part. But you must take the next right step.
Because remember, in the end, God's love wins. Thank you this morning for letting me share my stories, my three stories of faith, hope, and love. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I've asked your tech team to end with a favorite theme song of my recovery. It's entitled Redeemed. At one time, my names were sex addict, failure, idiot, just to mention a few. Today, I have embraced and put on my arm my new names, never to be forgotten. My new names are forgiven, loved, redeemed, brave, messenger, and son. And as we close, Richard, John, Dylan, and some of the other leaders and I will be available up front if anyone wants to come and talk or pray with us. There will also be offering support groups. So as the music video plays, we're, we're going to open the front of the church as an invitation to courageous people. If you are losing the battle with pornography, if you think you might have an addiction, or if you want to embrace a new name, if you are hurting and without hope, and you just want someone to pray with, I want you to come. Leaders are going to come forward now. I know that they and I would love to pray with you and show you the love of God and the amazing grace that is available.